Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Indeed, today is the day. It is Friday. It is the 25th of October, 2019. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBurge. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for inviting me into your day. It is uh, it's a great privilege. It's an honor to be included in your day today. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we're going to waste no time this morning getting into uh, conversation with Matt Hawkins, and that is because um, one of the topics he wants to talk about is the World Series, and I figured um, best to do that right away in order that um, then um, after a quick break we can turn our attention to, wow, some uh, some crazy troubling headlines across the country in relationship to parental rights and kids and all kinds of other things. So let's start with Matt Hawkins' celebration of uh, the current status of the World Series. <laughs> What would you two like to, to zero, say, sir? Washington Nationals. Two to zero, Washington Nationals. Very exciting to watch. Uh, Nationals are a wonderful team uh, with a lot of. <laughs> just a, it's a it's a fun team to watch. Uh, they they tend to be goofy. Uh, the players themselves tend to be goofy and uh, and do a lot of funny things. Uh, fans do the baby shark uh, clap uh, during the game and. Uh, uh, it's, and Simone Biles did a just a standing, yeah. absolute twisting flip before she threw out the yeah, first pitch. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, for the first pitch on Wednesday for Game Two. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty pretty cool highlight. Uh, now, sadly, uh, she's a Houston native, I understand, and so uh, <laughs> uh, she, by the Dude. end of the game, she probably wasn't all that all that great. But twelve to three, uh, Game Two. I mean, it, it was pretty stunning to see the the. Uh, uh, momentum of the game shift. I mean, uh, up through inning three, I thought, you know, uh, this is going to be a really interesting series, uh, really interesting and competitive. Uh, but gosh, man, uh, okay. after game two, so, you know, you're not, not so sure. But anyway, uh, game so three is no, tonight. And we're yeah, I was going to say, okay, so we're going to talk about game three. Game three is tonight. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do what, um, do what the show is designed to do. And that is like make the God connection. And okay. so I have found, um, I have found a God hook for the conversation related to the World Series today. Because in addition to today being Game 3 of the World Series, today is also the 21st birthday of the Nats uh, uh, cleanup hitter, Juan Soto. So for people who don't know who Juan Soto is, I know you obviously know who he is. And so why don't, um, why don't you introduce us to Juan Soto? What, what position does he play? Is he any good? <laughs> uh, Juan, Juan Soto is a delight uh, to watch um, as a Nationals fan. Uh, isn't he and, isn't he the um what position does he play? Uh he's an outfielder? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Most impressively he's their <laughs> he's their cleanup hitter, right? So here's what I have about game 3 of the World Series related to Juan Soto. Today is his 21st yeah. birthday, which let's just start right. with that. He's, he was only uh, yeah, he's he's 20 uh, <laughs> years old, now turned 21 and just now playing in the World Series. It's stunning. So here's what I wanted to lift up today, because um, I, we're going to talk uh, later in the program, Matt, about kids and the influence that parents have in kids' lives. Uh. And um, Juan Soto's dad 
spoke into his life when he was 10 years old and um, and he actually spoke to him about today. So Juan says that when he was 10 years old, his dad said, you're going to play baseball on your birthday. You're going to play in the World Series. Now, he didn't reference his 21st birthday, but he set in his child's heart a dream. Right. He set in his child's heart a dream. And I wonder if we are calling forth, you know, not just the best, but God's best for our kid, whatever their gifts, talents and abilities, whoever they are. Are we speaking these kinds of hopes and visions into their uh, into their lives? Uh, Juan Soto is a believer. He's very quick to uh, to give God the honor and glory in his life. And uh, and Johnny DePuglia, who I'll just admit, I don't know who that is, but he's the Nationals Vice President of International Operations. I mean, that's what his title is. He, he yeah. describes Juan Soto this way. This is the guy you'd want to marry your daughter. Uh-huh. And so just yeah. in terms of the kinds of compliments that are pay, paid to an individual and people of, uh, people of, of faith and people um, who are fun to watch, like this might be um, my God hook for the Nats versus the Astros in Game Three tonight of the World Series. How was that? How was that for That's making, well, well making a hook? Well done, well done. I, and, I, and I don't know how many uh, Christians that are on the Nationals team, uh, but I do see that organization as kind of a bright spot in uh, professional sports right now. Uh, so many, uh, so many clubs are just organizationally. You just get the sense that you're just kind of you know rotten and godless dark. and. A dark and you know, and uh, kind of the worst of uh, of competitive sports and uh, and capitalism, uh, but the Nets, or as an organization, at least from the outside, uh, doesn't seem to be that. Uh, they seem to be pretty, uh, pretty delightful and uh, having a fun having fun time out there. So they totally uh, seem like they're having fun. Go, so it's so go Nat, go Nets. All right, so that is uh, all of our Houston Astros fans can um, at me. Um, I'm at Carmen LeBurge. <laughs> Matt is at MT Hawk, and he and I will be right back. Okay, so we 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 uh we are going to pivot from um we're going to pivot. Thanks, Paul. Gosh, you no just, problem, you guys. It's Friday, you know, and I know you're trying to have it be fun Friday, and it's not. I'm not making it fun Friday yet because we have like serious Friday now to have. Okay, so James Younger is uh mm-hmm. is a boy. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe him that way. I am going to continue to refer to him uh, by his given name, James. This case is taking place in Texas. James is a twin boy. Uh, right. His parents are divorced, and in their um, in their custody dispute, what has surfaced is that James's mother wants to um, chemically castrate him and transition him to a female named Luna, and his father opposes this. Tell us what's going on in this yes. case. Yeah, it's a real it's a really interesting case, um, and talking about dark. Uh, dark things. Um, uh, it, it's one of those things where like every, every paragraph you read on this story just keeps getting deeper and deeper. Um, he is a twin. Um, and, uh, they, it turns out, um, they are, um, they are the offspring of a, uh, in vitro process where, uh, they're, chi- they're children basically of an egg donor. Um, and, and so she was, uh, in, artificially inseminated. Um, and they ended up with twins, um, somewhere along the lines, obviously we don't know the details. Uh, their marriage has, is broken up. Uh, the mother is apparently a pediatrician. 
herself, uh, which adds to the uh, confusion about this. And uh, the uh, on Monday, apparently the, a jury had ruled in favor of the mother having sole custody. Uh, but then by Thursday afternoon, uh, it looks like a judge has modified that. Um, now, I don't know the legal details of how that's possible, but uh, it looks like as of yesterday afternoon, uh, a judge has amended uh, a ruling and basically given split custody, 50, 50 uh, to both the boy uh, and his, both, to both the dad and the mother, um, which I think it, it appears to be that that will prevent uh, any further uh, transitioning or medication. It, right. Um, it'll prevent her from making these unilateral decisions related yeah. to uh, giving this child um, hormones that will block puberty and and have the effect of chemically castrating him. I mean, let's keep in yeah. mind, we're, we're talking about a very young child, um, and we are talking about a child of an age who in court has been described as, you know, not certain. It is not as if he is uh, settled in a gender identity, which is not yeah. a surprise because we we know um, I mean, we actually do know that many, many children who uh, who at one stage, you know, imagine that they want to dress up as the other gender. Um, right. They they do eventually settle into their biological gender and to threaten the chemical castration of a young child and to prevent his body from developing naturally as it is supposed to, as God designed and to say to the dad of this boy you have no rights in this matter, and the court is going yeah. to coerce the chemical castration of your child against your will. I mean, I think Christians should be, not just Christians, I think Americans in general should be outraged about this. Yeah, it's it, it's outrageous, uh, and I, it's it's a really tough issue uh, because I think we need, also need to recognize that uh, children going through this and other people, uh, you know, there can be. Um, some real emotional, psychological uh, issues um, that need to be resolved. Um, they tend to be resolved. Um, now, I'm a layman on this issue, but uh, from when I talk to our my counselor friends, they tend to talk like, you know, a lot of sexuality issues that, that people um, struggle with, they're often, they're often uh, helped a lot, if not reconciled, uh, by dealing with issues upstream, um, from sexuality, namely like relationships with parents. And so a, a lot of the time you, when you see these kinds of, uh, issues, whether it's transgenderism or, or some other kind of, uh, issue with children, um, uh, they're, they're often coming from really intense, uh, family situations, maybe divorce, um, not all divorces, but, uh, maybe divorce situation or, uh, you know, where spouses are abusive with one another. Uh, and they, they sometimes, uh, look, look like in hindsight, like they needed some attention. And, uh, so I, it, one of those things we can't, uh, can't look at lightly, um, but uh, and we're going to apparently uh, the judge put a gag order on both parents now, so we might learn a lot less about this case moving forward. But it appears that uh, the mother will not have uh, complete influence, and and will be able to stop stop these transitioning. Uh, in in uh, in response, uh, Governor Gre Governor Abbott uh, has said. Um, that uh, one of the representatives, state representatives, is going to introduce legislation that prohibits the use of puberty blockers in situations uh, for children under 18. Uh, so this might trigger um, some policy reflections, at least at the state level at this time. All right, I'm continuing my conversation in just a moment with Matt Hawkins, public theologian. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at mthawk. You can find him online at matthewthawkins.com. We'll be right back. 
All right, returning now to my conversation with uh, Matt Hawkins. You can find him at mthawk. You can also find him at matthewthawkins.com. Um, sticking with Texas here for just a minute, um, John yeah. Cornyn made uh, some very controversial um, comments. Uh, I'm just going to read one portion of his quote. I mean, he he says it's not a bad idea. He's talking here about the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria and this, you know, this northern band of Syria. I'm just reminding our listeners what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Turkey said, hey, we are going to clear out this 30 mile wide swath of land. We're going to drive everybody out of it because we want to resettle uh, refugees from other parts of Syria who are currently in Turkey. We want to give this land to them. This is where we want them to live, even though this is not where they're from, even though they're ethnically different than the Kurds who live in this area. So we're going to drive the Kurds out of this 30-mile-wide swath of land. We're going to repopulate it with these people who we're tired of offering hospitality to. And um, we don't really care where the Kurds go. We just just want them out. Now, that's, I mean, that's one view of what's happening in northern Syria. John Cornyn said... It's not a bad idea to get U.S. troops out of the way if Turkey planned to ethnically cleanse the Kurds. As a human right, as a person with concern for the human rights of every individual, I hear um, ethnic cleansing language as genocide. Am I misunderstanding him? No, no, you're right. Um, Yeah, ethnic cleansing is a a kind of genocide. And... For for Corner to make that kind of remark, it looks like yesterday he tried to walk it back a little bit, but it's still pretty troubling. Uh, and I think what I think it's an example. Uh, Cornyn's remarks, I think, are an example of what you're seeing among Republic, congressional Republicans uh, who didn't have a say in uh, President Trump's withdrawal of troops from that area, uh, and they're trying to uh, post hoc justify the decision. And uh, I, I think that's a they're scrambling for a lot of these things, and it, it, it's putting uh, Republicans uh, in a really difficult position and uh, trying to justify uh, why. Uh, it's okay that uh, the U.S. made a decision to pull out troops that instantaneously led to a, hum- a humanitarian crisis uh, in an attempt, at least at a partial, uh, at a partial ethnic cleansing, uh, with lots, lots of um, uh, casualties um, from civilians. Uh, it's pretty tragic and remarkable. And to hear these kind of remarks, uh, I, I, I want to give Cornyn the benefit of the doubt, um, but uh, they're. It's pretty stunning to hear kind of the blasé reference to uh, ethnic cleansing. And, uh, well, maybe it's maybe it's good to get our guys out of there. That's what our guys there are there to stop, for crying out loud. It's the whole purpose. Uh, not the whole purpose, but it's a lot of the purpose. Uh, and so it's really, really troubling. Okay. Um, now for an even more troubling story, as if we could find one. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if other people have been aware of this. I was not aware of this. I was not aware that the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, funded 200 studies across 50 institutions, mostly universities, in 33 states last year. Last year. So this is under the Trump administration, in which the organs, bones, and other body parts of aborted human babies were transplanted into lab animals. This year, the NIH estimates it will spend $120 million of taxpayer money on this same kind of research, using aborted baby parts um, and transplanting them into animals. I don't even know. It's it's staggering. But my my listeners, this uh, this is this is the stuff that (laughs) 
these articles about the uh, uh, boys being transitioned by their parents to different genders and uh, fetal tissue uh, being used to attach to animals. This is the kind of stuff that Carmen was uh, at tweeting me while I was just trying to watch the World Series. <laughs> she popped my little happy bubble while I was watching the Nationals. Uh, you know, one of the things when we talk about this, these kind of really tragic, sad issues, Carmen, as I had a couple of days in advance to kind of reminisce about these things, um, as they're shocking and, and they're troubling. And uh, it's reason enough for Christians to be involved in the public space. Um, but I'm reflecting on a couple of things. Uh, number one, Psalm uh, 72, I think, uh, mm talks about a longing for God's justice to be part of our King's justice. And uh, there are some really wonderful passages in there that both reflect a longing from us about what we uh, desire about God's justice for for (laughs) down here on earth, um, and that we desire our, our leaders, our governing leaders to uh, participate in that and and affirm God's justice, um, and and His promise to do so. Uh, so that's a good reflection point for when we're overwhelmed with these really terrible things. Uh, the other thing I'd say is this kind of barbarism. This, you know, it's it's not new. Uh, we know that this kind of um, barbarism has has been done in spirit, at least by humans. You know, all the way back to the beginning of time. The only thing that's different there are two things that are different. Number one our um, awareness of them um, because mm-hmm. of the internet and uh, social media. We're aware of this nonsense that goes on uh, that's just anathema and and obviously contrary to God's uh, word and God's ethics for um, humanity. Uh, and we are created in the image of God. And uh, so whether you have uh, little boys uh, who are confused growing up or whether you have uh, uh, the body parts of human babies, uh, from, uh, from abortions, um, being sold. Uh, this is part of the problem here. There's an incentive, uh, for abortion doctors to, uh, preserve babies, uh, for the use of research. And there's a market, uh, even if it's a black market, there's a market for this stuff. Um, it's really tragic, but so we're aware of it. Um, uh, and, but this stuff has been going on, you know, for, for a long time. I remember, probably a decade or more ago, I think it was somewhere in the Bahamas or something, uh, people were using some fetal tissue uh, research uh, to inject people for basically like youthful, you know, youthful mm-hmm. treatments yeah. for adults. Um, that's just a high-tech version of cannibalism. Uh, you know, we, exactly. on the one yeah. hand, our, our, our consciences ought to be shocked here. Um, but uh, I think it's it just prompts us to be uh, vigilant about participating in the public square because um, we have a responsibility to see that none of this stuff happens under our purview, um, either through government, but also industry. I mean, you know, we ought to we ought to be raising Christians who uh, participate in uh, the research fields and the medical research fields. Um, and so they can stop this stuff um, uh, from happening uh, or at least have influence to try to stop it when when there's opportunity to do so. Um, but it's a good call. Um, and one of the good things from. Uh, at least this presidential administration um, that is really a mixed bag, you and I agree, um, that uh, some of these research projects are, are stopping or, or the fundings are being pulled from these kinds of things. Um, I think somebody... That, yeah, I, but, I think yeah. that's where I want to... I think that's where I want to pause just, Matt, and just yeah. say to listeners, okay, um, you're not powerless. Uh, we, we have people on record as saying nobody wants this. Republicans don't want this. Democrats don't want this. Nobody wants... Uh, human baby body parts being harvested and sold 
uh, and used for medical research in the United States of America at taxpayer expense. I, they're, they're, they're on the record as saying, quote, nobody wants this. But obviously, there are researchers who want it. There are companies who yeah. want it. There are yep. – uh, and so there are people in Congress who are, who are helping to make this funding possible. Yeah. And so here's what I want to say to listeners today. Um, we, we are we the people. It is our money. This is our yeah. tax money, and we have the power to control it by communicating with our members of Congress that we want this to stop. I want this to stop. And so uh, if you if you want to get engaged somewhere along the spectrum in public discourse and public conversation, reach out to your members of Congress and say to them, I don't know all the details, but I know this. I don't want my taxpayer money used to fund the harvesting of baby body parts through abortion in the United States of America for the funding of taxpayer research, taxpayer funded research through the NIH. Just say it that way. Um, And there may not be a piece of legislation, but you will have made your mind and heart known to your member of Congress and your vote counts. And so I I just yeah, go ahead. Find your find your member of Congress um, on their website. They always have uh, their member their uh, the list of uh, committees that they're on, and you can find out pretty easily what committees uh, provides oversight to NIH. Oh, there you go. All right, hey, we got to leave it right there. Um, we're up on a break. Uh, Matt Hawkins, thank you so much. We love talking with you. Thank you for helping us think faithfully about uh, gosh, really controversial things today. Thanks, my friend, and go Nats. Thanks, Carmen. Go Nats. Go Nats. <laughs> we'll be right back. All right, so if you're a person of religious conviction like I am and you want to bring those convictions to bear in the public square like I do, then maybe you are wondering, how do I do that? Um, and, and who helps me know where the boundaries are in terms of what I am allowed to say and in what environments I'm allowed to say it? So we hear from people all the time who oppose the faith. And they say that Christians are not allowed to bring their faith with them to the school or to work or into the public or political conversations of the day. That is not true. So, in fact, quite the opposite is true. So up next, Luke Goodrich, who is vice president of the Beckett Fund, a guy who has actually argued religious liberty cases at the Supreme Court. He's going to be here to help us understand what we as Christians get wrong about our own religious rights. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. So some of you from time to time miss the live show. I mean, you know, I feel like from time to time I miss the live show. And so people ask me, like I had a friend who asked yesterday, hey, what um, what shows stand out in your mind? Like I've, I haven't been able to listen. Um, what stands out in your mind is something that I should go back and listen to. And so I rattled off a half a dozen interesting conversations I feel like I've had in the last couple of weeks. And then I directed her to download the podcast. And here's how you do that. You go to MyFaithRadio.com. You click on the Mornings with Carmen page. You click on Podcast. You find it in whatever format you prefer, or you can just listen to it right there um, on the website. Lots of options. You can also share the podcast with somebody else. Uh, And so let me just encourage you to do that. If you miss an episode or if you hear something and you say to yourself, wow, Bob would really benefit from that, or Carol or Susan or Neil or whoever, uh, go and grab the link to the podcast that you want to share And then just, you know, send an email to your friend or a text message and include the link, and then they can listen to the podcast of the show. So we've got podcasts available from every program we do because Paul Perot is really good at his job. So go to MyFaithRadio.com, Mornings with Carmen, grab the podcast, and share it with somebody new. Did you know that fewer than 40% of Americans could cover a $1,000 emergency with their savings? 
Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. If the thought of an unexpected expense sends you into a panic, you're not alone. Saving money can be hard. Once you pay your mortgage or rent, your grocery bill and other monthly expenses, there just isn't a lot left over. So here's a tip to help you put away more for unexpected expenses. Go through your bank account and look for hidden savings. Maybe it's a magazine subscription or a club membership you no longer use. Or it could be a cable TV bill that's more than you need. So are you being diligent when it comes to your finances? The Bible says the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. And speaking of diligence, rather than just focusing on your expenses, make sure you're being a good steward of all God has entrusted to you. When you do, you'll find you live a life of contentment, confidence, and generosity. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Welcome back. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Luke Goodrich. He's the vice president at Beckett. You can find them at Beckett Law. Dot O-R-G. You can find Luke uh, on Twitter at Luke W. Goodrich. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me. So we are kind of religious liberty junkies here at Mornings uh, with Carmen. We talk about religious liberty. We talk about the need for people of religious conviction to walk their faith out into every area of life. And so I was really excited to see your new book, Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. And I just love for you to tell us, uh, you know, let's just start by just telling us about the book. What do we get wrong uh, about religious freedom and, and how do we get it right? Yeah, thanks so much, Carmen. So I've been an attorney at Beckett for over a decade, litigating religious freedom cases in courts across the country, including the U.S. Supreme Court, and have had the privilege of standing shoulder to shoulder with Christians and people of other faiths as as they've stared down the government and refused to cave in on matters of conscience. And so I've learned a great deal about religious freedom. And the goal of my book is to equip Christians to understand why religious freedom matters, how it's threatened and how we can respond joyfully in light of the gospel. And I think a lot of Christians, the main, uh, one of the main issues I'm trying to address, a lot of Christians begin to think about religious freedom first and foremost as a political issue or a legal or constitutional issue. But in reality, religious freedom is much more than that, and it's a theological issue. And I'm encouraging Christians to understand religious freedom not just as a political tool for protecting our own rights, but as a basic issue of biblical justice rooted in the nature of God and the nature of man. So let's start right there, um, because I think that if I were to just sort of generally survey Christians and say, you know, do you feel like your um, your religious liberty is threatened today? They're going to all say yes, and they're going to have very specific ways in which they feel like as the culture continues to secularize or as Uh, let's say the Freedom From Religion Foundation continues to put forward cases against people of faith in the workplace and other environments, you know, Christians would point to those places and they would say, yes, yes, those are the places. I can point to these places and spaces where my faith is under attack. But you take us to a much deeper level. So um, build the foundation for us. I mean, you, you know, you talk about this really being grounded in who God is and who we are. So take us there. Yeah, so there's no one single scriptural passage on religious freedom, but it is, uh, there are dozens of religious freedom conflicts in scripture, stories where people of faith had to choose between fearing God and fearing man. And I also go right back to Genesis 1 and the fact that we are all created in the image of God. 
And that means uh, a lot of things, but one thing it means is we have a capacity for relationship with God. And we see throughout Scripture that God is pursuing relationship with us. He pursues relationship with Adam and Eve. He pursues relationship with the nation of Israel. And he ultimately pursues all of us by sending his son to die on the cross. Uh, We see in Scripture that we as human beings are made with a thirst for God. Uh, Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men And Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in God. So in Scripture, we see this dynamic of God pursuing relationship with us, us thirsting for relationship with God. But at the end of the day, that relationship with God can never be entered into through coercion. God doesn't coerce anyone into relationship with him. It's entered into freely through an act of conscience and through an act of faith. And so if God never coerces us into relationship with him, how much less should the government? And when the government does that, when it interjects its coercive power in between the relationship uh, between God and man, uh, government is usurping its God-given sphere of authority and committing an injustice. And so that ultimately is is where religious freedom comes from. It's much deeper than the Constitution or than the law. It's rooted in the nature of God and the nature of man. I'm talking with Luke Goodrich. He is uh, the vice president of, I call him the, I call it the Beckett Fund. Is it now called Beckett Law? I want to get it right. Yep. What language Beckett am I fund, supposed to be using? <laughs> Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is the full name, and the short name is Beckett. And we're the nation's only law firm dedicated exclusively to protecting religious freedom and doing it for people of all faiths. I know, and I just love it. So you guys can find it at Beckett Law. Um, you can also just find Luke and everything that he's doing and working on at Luke Goodrich. Dot com. That's where you can find out about uh, about his book, which we are talking about today, Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. Um, Luke, one of the things that you that you just pointed to, and I think um, I want I want to be sure that everybody understands this. When we're talking about the coercive power of government in relationship to um, belief, we are not just talking about, you know, hey, the government should not you know, ought not to uh, have one faith that it is advocating for. Like, we are not a theocracy, and, and, you know, and we believe that people should be free to choose to believe or not to believe. It's the other side of the coercive power of government that actually limits the freedom of people of faith that I think most people are concerned about today. Absolutely. We see that in so many areas. I had the privilege of representing the Green family, the owners of Hobby Lobby, along with the Little Sisters of the Poor, when they had to take their case all the way to the Supreme Court. And religious freedom is not something that's confined only to our beliefs, and it's not confined to the four walls of our home and our church. Uh, We take our religious beliefs and practices with us uh, when we run a ministry and when we enter the marketplace in business. And it's profoundly important that the government respect our freedom to live out our faith, not only in our minds, not only in our homes and our churches, but in our ministries, in our businesses as well. And I lay out in my book, Free to Believe, uh, where the the biggest threats are coming from and what we can do to preserve religious freedom for generations to come. All right, Luke Goodridge and I are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, specifically the Little Sisters of the Poor, who, um, gosh, we thought they were done. We thought their victory in the Supreme Court was going to liberate them from this uh, experience, and yet I'm learning they're, um, they're back in court. So, Luke and I are going to talk about that when we come right back. The book is Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. Luke Goodrich is the author. He and I will be right back. 
Continuing my conversation now with Luke Goodrich, Vice President of the Beckett Fund. Uh, you can find everything that they are doing at Beckett Law. Uh, you can find Luke at LukeGoodrich.com. The book is Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. Luke, let's talk specifically about the Little Sisters of the Poor. Remind people who they are and therefore why it is so astonishing that the government would compel them to carry birth control. Yeah, the Little Sisters of the Poor are nuns, Catholic nuns, who devote their lives to caring for the elderly poor. And during the Obama administration, uh, the federal government issued a new regulation that would require the Little Sisters of the Poor to use their health insurance plan to provide contraception and abortion-inducing drugs in violation of the Little Sisters' religious beliefs. Uh, So I and my colleagues at the Beckett Fund uh, sued the federal government on behalf of the Little Sisters took their case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and won a major victory there where the Supreme Court said, hey, government, do you really need to use nuns in order to deliver contraception? Go find a way to work it out. Uh, So uh, after that decision, uh, there was an election. President Trump was elected. The Trump administration rolled back that terrible Obama-era regulation and said, hey, the Little Sisters do not need to use their health insurance plans to provide contraception and abortion-inducing drugs. But unfortunately, several uh, Democratic state attorney generals, uh, California, Pennsylvania, several other states, then sued the Trump administration and the Little Sisters, saying this new regulation itself is unconstitutional and unlawful. And so they're trying to take away the religious protections that the Little Sisters earned at the US Supreme Court. So we've been defending the Little Sisters in this next round of lawsuits. Uh, Just this week, the Ninth Circuit out in California issued a bad decision. And so we are headed back to the Supreme Court again. Uh, You know, it's really unbelievable that these state governments will not leave the Little Sisters of the Poor alone. Uh, But we're ready. We're shoulder to shoulder with the Little Sisters. We're ready to go to the Supreme Court again and end this needless uh, litigation once and for all. All right. And again, if you want more information about that, you can go to BeckettLaw.org. Um, Luke, I'm I'm fascinated by something that I read on the website in relationship to a federal court in Texas, uh, which has handed down a victory for what is described here as medical judgment and conscience protections. Tell us what's going on here, because my guess is if most listeners are like me, we didn't even really know this was going on. Yeah, this really flew under the radar. But in the waning days of the Obama administration, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a new regulation. And it said that doctors and hospitals across the country would be required to perform gender transition procedures. These are procedures that help uh, that, uh, quote unquote, help someone transition from living as a male to a female or vice versa. That doctors and hospitals would be forced to participate in these gender transition procedures or else be deemed to be discriminating and subject to financial penalties. So this was a major threat to doctors and hospitals across the country. Uh, And I and my colleagues at the Beckett Fund brought a lawsuit on behalf of a Catholic healthcare system, as well as the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. We challenged this regulation in federal court. And just uh, two weeks ago, we got a major victory from federal court saying doctors and hospitals cannot be forced to perform gender transition procedures in violation of their religious beliefs and their medical judgment. 
So when you sort of survey the horizon of um, what's happening in the culture, you know, it occurs to me that you um, you are looking at things and anticipating uh, things that the rest of us, you know, it's just not what we're paying attention to all the time. What do you see on the horizon that we should be concerned about? And I'm I, I'm thinking here that in addition to doctors um, having this kind of mandate, I, I remember there being an issue with lawyers, um, maybe. And so remind us what's going on maybe there, if that's something we should be paying attention to. Or are there other sort of categories of licensed professionals we should be concerned about? Yeah. So the, the second major part of my book, Free to Believe, is designed to kind of give an overview of the battleground. I identify five major areas where significant religious freedom conflicts are coming. Uh, these are the areas of anti-discrimination laws being applied to churches and other religious organizations to try to dictate who they can choose as their leaders and members. Second major area is abortion. Uh, like the Little Sisters of the Poor case, these government regulations trying to force people of faith to participate in abortions. A third major area is gay rights and the, the, con the potential conflict between gay rights and religious liberty. A fourth major area has to do with minority faiths and how they're going to be treated when it comes to religious freedom. And then lastly is the area of the public square, uh, government religious symbols or government funding for religious organizations or uh, prayer in public schools. How is this relationship between church and state going to work out? Uh, but one of the biggest areas, you know, if you're a Christian and you hold traditional beliefs about human sexuality, the biggest area far and away is the issue of gay rights and religious liberty. And we see this in private lawsuits that we've all heard of, like wedding vendors, bakers, florists, uh, with lawsuits trying to force them to participate in same-sex weddings. But the even bigger area, I think, has to do with government penalties. This is where the government itself you know, doesn't wait around for a lawsuit. Instead, it deems religious people to be discriminators and then punishes them in various ways through penalties. This could be a denial of licenses or accreditation. You see this with Christian counselors, with adoption agencies, with Christian colleges and universities. This could be denial of government grants, contracts, and loans. We're seeing this with school vouchers, uh, with medical professionals, with homeless shelters. Uh, it could be de denial of tax-exempt status. We saw just a couple weeks ago one of the major Democratic presidential candidates said he thought churches, religious colleges, and religious ministries should be stripped of their tax-exempt status if they don't support same-sex marriage. So these conflicts are uh, spreading through multiple areas of the law. I try to break it down in a very clear way in the book, and then also show not only what the solutions are legally, uh, but the steps practically that all Christians can take, whether you're a business owner, a ministry leader, a person in the, uh, behind the pulpit, or a person in the pew, practical steps you can take to protect your business, your ministry, and your family, and preserve religious freedom for generations to come. Yeah, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, the, the bans that we see, the travel bans from particular states who don't like what other states are doing in relationship to, let's say, uh, abortion rights or LGBTQ, SOGI, uh, SOGI rules and laws. You know, I mean, I think California just keeps adding states to the list where, you know, you can't use any California uh, tax money to travel to those places, which means, you know, obviously any of the employees of that state can't. Uh, can't go there to, you know, on business and those kinds of things. So just there are all kinds of ways that um, that this conversation bubbles up. And it's so helpful to have 
not just a guidebook, which obviously Free to Believe is a wonderful guidebook for the conversation and, and I think really provokes the conversation among Christians uh, to to know what we believe and then how to talk about it. But it also gives us that view of, the, of what's on the horizon, and I always think that's helpful. Uh, Luke, it occurs to me that, you know, there were times when we would just say, oh, well, that'll never happen, and then we didn't prepare for it to happen, and lo and behold, it has happened, and we weren't ready. And so I feel like uh, the, the service that you're providing, not only just at Beckett, which is just awesome, and again, beckettlaw.org is where you want to go, but this book is just really a wonderful resource. So thank you so much for it. It's Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. The author is Luke Goodrich. Luke, thank you so much for sharing with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. What a delight. All right, we'll be right back. What are you anticipating today? It is uh, Friday. It's the 25th of October, so, you know, getting towards the end of the month. Um, but it's the beginning of a new day. I'm wondering, what are you anticipating today? Uh, expect always the unexpected and anticipate miracles, knowing that with God all things are possible. Uh, that is maybe um, a specific encouragement to those today who are praying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I pray that every single day, uh, looking up, acknowledging that we are yet waiting for the consummation of all things and the coming of our King, Jesus. Uh, And so let me just encourage you today to be anticipating Christ and to be anticipating opportunities to bear positive public witness to him. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.